We're coming at you today from historic Faneuil Hall, as I say, because I'm actually from the Midwest and don't know how to say it right. Peter, you want to correct me? Faneuil Hall. That's uh, Peter Kadzis, the senior editor of WGBHnews.org. We've also got David Bernstein, who does some political analysis for WGBH. Glad to be here at Faneuil Hall, which is how I say it. But okay. I'm from Arizona, so what do I know? It's Wednesday, September 24th, and you're listening to The Scrum. Before we start talking about this um, providers forum that the three of us watched today with all the candidates for governor, I want to talk a little bit about the history of this building. You know, you look at the stage, you know that there were these debates before the Revolutionary War about what direction this... They, they kept the revolution whipped up in this building. And in addition, more recent history, like those big Romney-Kennedy debates in, was it 1996? Remember? 1994, I believe. 94, thank you. I was at the Romney-Kennedy debate. It reeked of history. Everyone thought Romney was going to wipe the floor with poor Ted Kennedy. And Ted Kennedy turned the tables and wiped the floor with Romney and I think rescued his candidacy right then and there. Um, I was on that stage once. I was 17 years old. It was the very first Martin Luther King Day. I was representing the Boston Public Schools and I, what I did is I ended up innocent that I was saying that the Democratic power establishment was trying to whitewash Martin Luther King's uh, reputation as a radical. I so ticked off then Mayor Kevin White that he wouldn't shake my hand after it was over. David, you got anything to compare to that? No, I, I, I have nothing nearly that good. You know, speaking truth to power as a 17-year-old. I can't, <laughs> I, you know, in, in the Great Hall, you know, under the, the bust of uh, John Adams and, and all that. No, I can't compete with that. And the, the picture of Commodore Preble. Also, <laughs> don't, don't forget about the Commodore. We're forgetting about some others. There was a governor's forum here today. There was a governor's forum here today. Thank you for the reminder. What did you two make of what you saw from not just Charlie Baker and Martha Coakley, but the two independents on the stage, Evan Falchuk and Jeff McCormick? The two independents, I thought Evan Falchuk really stole the show. He was very energetic. He was very, he was exactly what you want to stand out as the sort of underdog third party outsider. I thought that, you know, if you listen to what Jeff McCormick was saying, he was making very solid points. He was showing some mastery of, of the issues and, and what kind of you know, management needs to be uh, put in place to get some of the things done. But he didn't stand out, especially next to Falchuk. Of yeah, the well, I, I, just a quick thing about McCormick. He was smart. He's a nice, likable guy. He struck me as tired. Um, Falchuk won hands down. I would say Coakley sort of came in second because her position as a, a sitting state official really helped her out. Charlie Baker, the Republican candidate, was very at home with these issues. He had great command. I was impressed with his sympathy. Everyone is still trying to paint Charlie as, you know, the ice-cold Republican who doesn't have a heart. Not at all. And I could tell from the audience that he connected with the audience, too. There was that one great line he had. I'm not going to be able to replicate it verbatim, but about how in Massachusetts, when we find a difficult way to do yeah. something, we fund it to the hilt and we love it. And it, he set it up so great, you know, talking about how he loves this state. And then he said, but there's something in the water or, yeah. or something. And then talked about our affinity for difficult bureaucracies. And the crowd really seemed to respond enthusiastically to that, I think. The other Baker lines that stuck out at me was he talked about his time in HHS and said something along the lines of, one of the things that's always bugged me is I never felt like we got it right. And he wasn't just talking about himself or his inner team, but he was talking about state government at a time that he was a big part of it. And I was kind of struck by that self-deprecating candor. 
I saw a sliver, not the whole side, I saw a sliver of Charlie Baker I hadn't seen over all these years. I'll tell you, though, everyone up on that stage was, to some degree, out in La La Land. You know, they were on another planet. And the reason I say that is the issue of money and of funding never came up. Now, that wasn't the point of this forum, but everything they were saying, I believe they'd do as governor. But if this were a dictatorship and they were governors and got to do whatever they want, everything would probably be better. But there's those pesky pesky characters known as legislators to deal with. I, I want to get back to what Adam was saying, uh, Baker's big line, which, which went over very, very well and was very effective. The question had been about basically cutting red tape. How, how do you make uh, everything run easier? His rhetoric was outstanding in terms of, of saying, you know, I'm the one who re- takes this stuff seriously. You know, it's really where his wheelhouse is of I'm going to cut, you know, I'm going to make this stuff efficient as a manager. Let's move on to talk about something that was in the news as this forum took place, what we obviously have to call Sweetheart Gate, Charlie Baker. <laughs> referring to Fox 25 reporter Sharman Sacchetti as sweetheart when she was asking him a question recently. It's something that she took and left in a piece that she put together about Charlie Baker's alleged problems wooing female voters. I, I say alleged, yet the polls do indicate that, in fact, he's you know, running far behind Martha Coakley among female voters. Uh, the Democrats, I was on, I don't know if you were, David, this conference call they held earlier today, which I thought was kind of a lackluster conference call where they tried to say, Here's yet another example of Charlie Baker just not getting it when it comes to women, from his comments about Hobby Lobby to his statement that, uh, you know, Roger Goodell should not necessarily be fired. He'd need to see some more data on that topic. And now this. So they folded this into a pre-existing narrative. I'm wondering if you two think that that was a big deal, a big slip up for Baker, or maybe not that big a mistake. Well, it's not a, a huge thing, but it's, it's unhelpful to him. Um, I don't think the Democrats and Martha Goldwyn's campaign needed to, you know, push it the way that they decided to do today. You know, it was going to get pushed <laughs> on its own. They didn't have to, you know, they almost made it look cheap by, uh, by pushing it so hard. But they saw how well uh, Maura Healy was able to, to ride um, the sense of, you know, women's power or whatever, however you want it, empowerment, you know, what, however, I, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but there was something there that Maura Healy wrote against Warren Tolman. Well, in particular, helped by the fact that he referred to her as unbecoming in one of their yeah, debates. And again, and again, I don't think, and I know Peter said this before, I don't think that in itself, you know, did anything. It, it, it you know, was a, a, it riled up people who were already riled up, but, but it was part of a whole, uh, you know, a whole theme and that's an unhelpful unhelp- theme for Charlie Baker, and it sets up for anything that happens now for the next six weeks. Unhelpful is a really good word. I mean, I liken this to Charlie Baker coming out really a week too late on condemning the, N- the NFL. It doesn't help him hurt him with the women who are with him, but it certainly doesn't help him with women who might be on the fence. The Democrats would be making a mistake, I believe, if they made too much of this, because I think each individual woman, you you know, has an opinion about this, will settle this issue for herself. There'll be some closer to him in age who may say, hey, it's an old guy who's being courtly towards a younger woman and he was just too familiar. There'll be other women who take great umbrage at it. Okay, watching the video, I think, you know, from my point of view, he says it as he's interrupting her. You know, she's trying to get a question in, and not only does he refer to her as as sweetheart, but he refers to her as that 
as he cuts her off and refuses to allow her to speak, at least for a moment. And then we should point out he apologized shortly after. Charmin says, you know, sweetheart, and then he seems to know immediately, oh, I shouldn't have said that. But I, I think it looks to me like he's trying to silence her in sort of a dismissive way. This was obviously sort of the, the joking talk of the, the press core, you know, as we were milling about before this uh, forum started today. One of the things that, that I think that we were picking up on was that Charlie Baker feels, seems to feel this time around like he's the journalist's friend. And this is something I actually have an article coming out, I make a point of this. After being pretty, you know, directly hostile to the media uh, in his last time around, uh, in part of the selling of Charlie 2.0, he's been very, very aggressively courting the media. You know, his announcement, he, in, he invited them out to Swampscott to his house and introduced them to family and, and, you know, the dog and everything. And he gave us cookies, remember? Uh, I wasn't there. I, I actually yeah, wasn't there. Great but, spread. But uh, exactly. You know, I, too, I too couldn't be bought with carbohydrates. <laughs> I, I can't be bought with carbohydrates, but you've got to, I think there's an undercurrent in there. I don't know if, the, you know, regular voters will pick it up on, but like, he seems to think that she's on his side, you know, that, that hey, I've been talking to you a lot lately, you know, and, and, and he's sort of too friendly, and that can, that can bite back in a hurry if the media thinks that he's got that attitude because they want to show their independence by, you know, by biting back. Do you think it was reasonable and appropriate for Sharman to leave that quote in the piece, Peter oh, Kansas? Oh, yeah, yeah. For the reasons that David outlined, it was part of the scene. And, um, you know, too bad for Charlie, but it was appropriate. It's not the end of the earth, but it doesn't help. And she didn't set out to make it part of the part of the story, right? I mean, she kind of inadvertently became part of, you know, his comment to her was entirely in keeping with what she was reporting on. No, and I think that part of what she does and was doing in that in that interview was pushing the candidates' buttons and, you know, you, you know, pressing. And, you know, that's what happened to Warren Tolman. And we discussed this, that part of, you know, her, his making that comment was that we saw what happens when he gets uncomfortable because his buttons are being pushed, in that case by Maura Healy. That's part of what the press's job is, to show what happens when you make a, the candidate uncomfortable. Okay, we're going to have to leave it there. Peter Kadzis, thank you, as always, for taking part in this. You too, David Bernstein. My pleasure. WGBH My political pleasure, analyst. Sweetheart. And <laughs> yeah, sweetheart. That's right. Uh, I am... See, it's disarming. <laughs> it is disarming. <laughs> oh, you, I, I, I'm blushing. Thanks for listening to the Scrum, as always. You can always find the Scrum... Don't be unbecoming. You can, oh, you can always find the Scrum online at blogs.wgbh.org slash scrum. You can also find us in iTunes. If you haven't subscribed already, you really should do so. I'm Adam Riley, WGBH reporter. Our producer is Abby Ruzica. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.